You are listening to Read It, Roll It, Hole It. He's two putts from victory. Only needs one. Welcome, golfers, to the next episode of the Read It, Roll It, Hole It podcast. Today, we have got Dr. Sasha McKenzie on the call. Welcome, Sasha. Nice to be here. Thank you for joining us. Now, I'm really excited for this. I've been following you for a fair few years. And uh, as I mentioned to you before we come on air, a lot of the information you talk about goes well over my head, but in a good way that I come away with more problems and more um, questions than I perhaps first sort of uh, before I sort of introduced myself to you, but in a good way. So you're one clever guy. I'm really looking forward to uh, talking to you. Um, you're in golf biomechanics. Um, I can never say this word, golf biomechanics. Why can't I say that word, Sasha? Well, you're firing an X in there. Biomechanist, I guess we'll go with. There we go. I'm not going to try and say it. We'll go with that. Um, And uh, you've done a lot of research, right, for for Ping, for yourself. Your website has got more studies on there than you can, uh, well, than, you know, than I can digest in one one day for sure so uh and you've got your own uh speed training devices called stack yeah the stack system yep that's right we have with marty jertson so that's that's off and running and doing well so if you're looking for more speed check that out really look forward to um we'll dive into that um well we're going to start with some putting though if that's all right with you sasho and um wow we've got so many things to, to to go through today but I think starting off maybe with the heads up putting, you've done a research on heads up putting. Um, really interested to hear from you, sort of uh, start with maybe with the listeners. Can you explain what it is um, and then what your research found? Sure. So um, it, it's called heads up. Um, some people would think of it as looking at the hole instead of the ball while the while you're making the stroke. Uh, um <clears throat> A little more nuance than that, but but essentially that's it. On on a straight putt, um, instead of staring at the ball when you pull the putter back, you're staring at the hole. You're staring at what I would call the the far target. Ball is the near target. Hole is the far target. Um, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. Happy to, you know, I'm sure we'll explain more in the next twenty minutes. But yeah, what direction would you like me to go in? I think that that that's um, definitely the direction we'll go down with regards to where you um stabilize your your gaze is it on the whole always or i've I've seen some research i think you've done of looking at a spot maybe a a foot or two in front as well yeah so what i've um uh kind of formalized through my research when you do a research study you kind of have to pick something a standardized way that everybody's gonna 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 use in the test um so put a lot of thought into that probably about 10 years ago um because yeah you know do you stare at the hole on a breaking putt you know if it's downhill do you stare short of the hole you know what's the what are the guidelines so i went with um uh it's happened to be what i found to be the most comfortable but it's it's looking at a spot on your uh target line that passes closest to the hole so you could imagine um, it's kind of no different than how if we were playing in a scramble or if you had a caddy and you were talking about the break of a putt and someone said, oh, it's a cup outside right. Most people would interpret that to mean I want to point my face at impact so that a laser line coming out of that face would pass a cup outside the right of the hole. I think that's the way most people would interpret that. Does it make yeah. sense? You want to oh, yeah. start you want to start the ball 
And if it didn't break, if it kept going straight, it would roll over a spot that's a cup outside the right uh, edge of the hole. Um, so that's the spot that that I recommend uh, staring at. So if it's if if it's okay, look, I don't think you have to give away the hole. Then I would stare at maybe the inside right edge spot of the hole and try to hit that. Um, and the it's quite simple, really nothing about your regular technique changes. So you read the putt the same, you set up the same, everything's the same up until normally you'd look at the hole, you know, kind of try to get a sense of distance, bring your eyes back, check your face angle one more time, and then, you know, pull the putter back. Maybe you wouldn't even check your face angle. Eyes come back, you're on the ball, you pull the putter back. Well, with uh, heads up putting, you uh, you add just a little bit extra, one more step to that. So everything's the same up until before you pull the putter back. Now, instead of pulling the putter back when your eyes are at the ball, you kind of check your alignment one more time and down by the ball. Then your eyes follow that laser line out of the putter face, square to the direction the putter's uh, facing towards the hole. And where that line would pass close to the hole, that's where you stare at. And you think, I'm just going to roll the ball over that spot. So, so the, the, the intended initial launch direction of the ball, that's, that's the line you're looking down and where that line passes close to the hole, that's where you're going to stare at. And you just think, roll the ball over that spot. Now, now, some people would say, well, I'm not a, some, some people classify putters as, you know, linear um, versus, you know, they can see the path where they see curves. I personally see, do see the ball curling into the hole. I follow the curved path um, in my mind. That's what I picture, but I'm just happen to use this kind of linear way of determining uh, where I'm going to start the ball on, but I, I'm still picturing the ball peel off that laser line and going into the hole. Right. Okay. So the, essentially it's you, you're looking at your aim point or your points that you're aiming at. Yeah, exactly. As long as you're, um, some people, um, you know, within putting circles, things can get a bit confusing because people like to talk about, well, you're an apex putter or mm -hmm. you, uh, whatever, but in true aim point, um, if, if you, uh, you know, do aim point stuff, exactly. That's what we're talking about. It's, it's the, that, that, that spot on the initial start line of the ball that would pass, um, past the hole close to the hole. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's cool. So I, I'm very similar to you that I use aim point. I pick a point to aim at, then I come back and then I trace the line and see that curve, which maybe we'll get down that rabbit hole today as well. I know you've done some studies on that, I think, before, haven't you? Yes. Um, yeah. Is there anything uh, you haven't studied? That's why. It's <laughs> class. It's good. So, you know, it, well, in, it, the reason why I started looking at heads up putting, um, you know, I kind of, I take big picture perspectives on things and I like to compare what we're doing in one sport to what we maybe we do in other sports and, and to see, well, Hey, maybe there's something in this, that this other sports figured out that, you know, there's a better way to do it. Right. There's a lot of commonalities across sports. Um, and if you, if you look at sports, like say basketball, um, if you don't look at uh, around the hoop, when you're making a shot, it, it seems like mm, that's a big disadvantage. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you want to know, you want to be able to, to see okay, how far am I trying to project uh, this object? Now, basketball is different because you're holding the ball. You don't have to hit it. 
um, it's in your hands. You're just pushing it out of your, your hands. Um, but if you think about snooker or pool, that's starting to get more like putting. Um, and it, as you get uh, better and better pool, expert uh, snooker or pool players don't look at the cue ball. They look past that, right, to where they want the cue ball to go. Um, even, even when you're talking about very precise locations, if they're trying to put some spin on the, the, the cue ball. So there's been studies where they, you know, have the eye trackers on the pool players and they look at where their vision's going. Um, so I look at that and I think, okay, well that requires precision. You're striking an object. Um, so if you look at other sports, there's a, there's enough, uh, reason to believe that, mm, you know, maybe, maybe this is an option. This is a thing that maybe golfers don't have to look down at the ball. Um, and, and I'm from Canada. And if you're a hockey player and you're trying to pass a puck, or if you're going on a breakaway, even now, uh, if you're taking a slap shot, um, 90% of the defensemen in the NHL, when they take a slap shot from the point, and it's much more complex than hitting a putt, the puck's moving, people are trying to take your head off. Um, they look up when they take that slop shot. They, they look at where they want, want to project the puck. They want to look at the far target. So when I started doing the research, um, uh, th there had been people that had looked at it before. There's probably four or five studies, uh, maybe rather simplistic where it was just straight putts or they were just looking at how many putts went in versus how many putts missed. Um, and I wanted to take a little bit uh, more precise approach and I, and I, I wanted to say, well, what's under the control of the golfer, you know, what, what variables could be affected here by whether you look up or down, right? There's, there's more, there's a more granular way to look at it than just does the ball go in or not. Um, so to me that the four most important things or the four biggest things that are under the control of the golfer that determine where the ball goes are the impact spot on the face. So, you know, did you, you can swing the putter and contact it out towards the heel or the toe. You can hit it higher, lower in the face, but that's going to have a much uh, lower impact, less impact than what eventually happens with the ball. Um, you've got the path. Um, so that's the, the direction that the whole club is traveling. Is it traveling into out or out to in? That's independent of where the face is pointing, um, obviously, as, as you know. Um, those two things don't matter a ton, it turns out. But we can talk about that later. Um, then you've got face angle. Um, that matters a whole lot in terms of uh, start direction. So whether the face is open or closed um, and you've got speed. So uh, how fast the putter, the putter's traveling. So those four things um, are under the control of the golfer and they really determine where the ball goes. And for the vast majority of putts, speed um, is, turns out is more important than the rest of them. Um, so I wanted to know, right. If I, uh, bring someone into the lab, on that fashion. sorry to cut across. No, that's all right. Have you done a study on speed is the most important skill from, um, start line and, and read. Yeah. Well, um, okay. Not uh, of the, of the things that once you decide to hit the putt. So, um, okay. reading the reading, I think reading the green is probably accounting for 50% of whether the puck was in or not. So that's okay. the, that's the, the, the biggest one, in my opinion, um, uh, is, is, is your ability to read the green that that's determining whether you make the putt or not. That's the biggest one. Um, oh, yeah. sorry to and, cut across you there. So you're no, saying that speed is the most important from, um, face angle and strike and, um, the fourth one, which was path. 
tough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and how I approach, it's like, well, you know, what, what's more important? Well, you, you have to look at it, not just from a physics standpoint, but also from um, what is the variability introduced by the golfer for that variable? Let, let me, let me give you, let me give you an example. Um, so uh, I'll ask you a question and I know, you know, the answer, but what's, what's more important uh, face or path? Face. Face. And you could take a robot um, and set them up to hit uh, 11 foot putts and you could change the path, keep the face square to the target, to the hole, straight putt, um, change the path by three degrees and all those putts are still going in. Yep. Right. Um, and then you change the face angle by a degree and a half and you're missing all the putts. Um, and, and that there's been a, a number of studies starting back. Most of the studies start with Cochrane and Staub search for the perfect swing saying that, you know, face accounts for somewhere between 82 to 95% of the start direction. So in that sense, you would say face is more important. Okay. But let's consider, this is just a hypothetical example. Let's consider, uh, what happens if a person, so that's from the physics of it. What happens if a person is always able to deliver the face within 0.1 degrees of what they decide? So, okay, I think the face should be zero. And we just execute remarkably well our consistency in face control, right? And the worst, the worst putter in the planet has a range of face between 0.2 degrees open and 0.2 degrees closed. That's their variability. And those guys are terrible. So but the path ranges from 20 degrees in to out to 20 degrees out to in. So even though from a physics standpoint, we'd say face accounts for, um, you know, 90% of start direction, if we compare them equally, but what we, what we have to say is, well, what is the golfer doing in terms of their ability of delivering that? So if, does that make sense? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you, so that's when I say speed is more important, you have to layer over the physics, what the human, the, the, the biomechanics side of it, what they are actually able to, to do in that putt. Um, and if you look at um, the variability, if I'm trying to hit an 11 foot putt, that's, you know, break six inches, my variability in speed is probably going to account for more missed putts after green reading, because green reading is probably going to account for the most missed spots. Um, my variability in speed for the average golfer out there, you know, if we, um, I'm sure there are some people who have somebody maybe with the yips, maybe their speed control is actually terrible as well, but most people, their variability in speed, their speed is going to be the issue, not their control of the face. It's close. Um, it's not like speed is crushing face by any means, but it's, it's uh, it, by my measures, um, speed, then face, and then way, 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 way off in the distance are um, impact spot in the face and path. Okay. So if I'm understanding you right, the dispersion from left to right is less than it is from short and long. Is that what we're saying? As a rule of thumb from length up? Um, yeah, that's fair enough, I think. Um, uh, variability in, yeah, variability in start direction versus variability in uh, launch speed of the ball. That's, okay. that's how I would, I would look at it because you could, um, uh, when I, what's interesting is that when I first, uh, let, me let me explain using a more practical example. Okay. Um, so my theory, 
was that um, looking at the far target would improve your speed control. Um, that's why we, you know, if, if you ball up a piece of paper in your hand right now, Ollie, and you've got a garbage can over there in the corner, and I said, okay, I want you to toss it in there. If you get it in, I'll give you, you know, a thousand Ruby? quid. Is that what we say? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then if I said, all right, before you shoot, I want you to look down at the ground. You'd be like, um, I don't know how hard to throw this, right? Yeah. Um, and, and there's been research that has shown that as soon as you take your eyes off the far target, the, the target that requires you to determine how much effort to put into something to get it there, um, you start to forget how far away it is. It decays exponentially. Um, so then you probably don't want to take your eyes off it until you've you know, um, started executing your stroke. And even the best putters uh, out there, most of them, someone like an Aaron Baddeley, even as their head's coming back to the ball, they've already started their, uh, started their stroke. Um, because I don't want to forget that, forget that distance. Um, so my theory with uh, heads up putting was that, well, your, uh, speed control is going to be better. Um, you're going to be able to more close, more repeatably execute your intended speed. So you read the putt, I want to hit it this fast and you actually do hit it that fast because you're looking at this far target. But I thought, Hey, the other three things, which I called quality of strike, impact spot on the face, face angle and path, I thought, well, you're not looking at the near target, the ball. So maybe those things get mucked up a bit. Right. Um, so the first study I did were, was straight putts, straight flat putts, uh, four feet and 12 feet and, um, didn't see uh, much of a difference at all. Um, whether you putt heads up or heads down, you know, it was kind of like, man, a bit of a wash speed control was better. If you, if you measured what was happening, impact spot in the face, a tiny bit worse, no difference in face angle, no difference in path, speed control a little bit better, but didn't really result in much difference in terms of number of putts that were going in. Um, and then I thought, well, most putts aren't, aren't straight. And if my theory is that speed controls improve with heads up putting, then maybe I should look at breaking putts. Um, and the, the analogy that, that I give when, when people come in, when people first come in to do the studies, I do a half hour uh, little kind of get them familiar with heads up putting. And the other thing that I do is we, we cover, we spend about five or 10 minutes talking about the concept of, of what you should be trying to do with the ball. Um, I want everybody to have, everybody that comes into my lab, I want them to have the same understanding of what the ball speed should be at the hole. You know, there's lots of people out there who think, to diet in. Um, and, uh, and that, you know, I, you see lots of images where you see the size of the hole. Um, and then the hole shrinks if the ball speed at the hole gets faster, yeah. which is, which is true, but you, you can't look at that in isolation. You have to take into the, the human element. We're not robots. If we, and the greens aren't perfect. If I had a perfect green marble green, no dimples on the ball, putting robot, um, and the only thing the robot messed up was start direction, then I would say, yeah, I want the speed so that it's, you know, going to make it to the, you know, the middle of the cup. So if it, you know, if I missed way out to the right, it would go way out to the right of the hole, get to the edge of the hole, and then just drop in perfectly sideways. Yep. But that's not how humans work. We also have variability in speed. So what I do is um, I put a, a string down at the end of the putting green. Um, about 14 feet away. And I say, okay. Um, and I put, um, uh, five balls, um, kind of, uh, uh, along the green 14 feet away from that. So they step up to one ball, they try to hit it to the string. 
step up yep. to the next ball and I'm telling them stop it on the string. Um, and inevitably two balls go long, one ball's close to the string and two balls end up short. That's usually what happens, right? As they kind of feel it out. And I'm like, all right, well, if this string was the hole, you've, you've missed two putts. You, these two putts that are short had no chance in going in. Everybody's got some variability in their speed control. Makes yep. sense. Yep. So, so for, if we're, if we're trying to hit a makeable putt, something under, you know, 14 feet and, and in, um, we want to get that to the hole 95% of the time, at least. Right. And certainly from 10 feet and hundred percent of the time from five feet, we don't want to be leaving these putts short. Um, so I explained to them that we want even the ones that are the, the shortest that we hit, we still need that one to be getting past the hole within my variability of speed. And now then I explained to them, then I go over to a section of the green and say, okay, they kind of get that. All right. Yeah. But I don't like the idea of the hole getting smaller. And this is going to tie back in your question about, um, uh, you know, direction versus speed and how speed really can become direction in terms of a miss. So you go to a breaking putt now, and I take three balls that on a straight putt would have gone in one that finishes. If the hole was covered about two inches past the back of the hole, one that finishes about eight inches past the back of the hole and one that finishes say 16 inches past the back of the hole. So if it, 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 relating back to the first day I did in heads up putting, all of those balls would have gone in quite a bit of speed variability, right? Two inches past, you know, eight inches past 16 inches past. Um, but they all go in on the straight flat putt. Yeah. Okay. Now, if we make that putt a breaking putt, the one that was two inches past misses to the low side. The one that was 16 inches past misses to the high side. So only one of those three goes in. So all of a sudden, if, if you have someone who can get all of their balls to within 10, 11, 12 inches past really good speed control, they sink all of them on the breaking putt. The person that's two and 16 and eight, they only sink one of those putts, but both of those people sink all of the straight flat ones. So hence what, Hence why I did the follow-ups. They were like, all right, I got to include breaking putts because um, this is the way, you know, golf works is that, you know, most of the putts we're hitting were, you know, kind of aiming outside the hole a little bit. Um, So uh, when we did that, when I actually made the study a little bit more, the research a little more externally valid, applicable to what happens in the real world, all of a sudden heads up putting starts to separate itself um, from heads down and about 80% of the golfers just after an initial half hour, here's how you putt heads up. So someone like you and me, um, you know, go through a life playing golf for 30 years, um, heads down. And just after half an hour of this is what we're trying to do. Um, they, uh, they putt better, um, uh, meaningfully. So, um, looking up because of their speed control, their speed control, their touch, their speed is, is better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, the impact spot, gets worse, um, uh, measurably worse, but it has such a small influence relative to the other variables that it doesn't matter. I sink plenty of putts from 11 feet. I put heads up where yeah. I can feel the putter twist in my hands because I've hit it towards the toe or the heel and I still watch it, watch it go in. Um, a, a standard answer style putter, uh, you can miss about 1.1 centimeters on either side of the sweet spot and it will still go in on an 11 foot putt. And if I take, 
for uh, left and right or short and long? Yeah. So if uh, both. So I, I, if I set up my robot so that the ball is going to roll, let's say 12 inches or, you know, somewhere between 12 and 17 inches past. Yeah. And then I move it so that the ball is going to hit a, one centimeter on either side of, of the sweet spot, that putt still goes in. So you're going you're gonna to have a little bit uh, directional error, a little bit of uh, loss in speed. But how much loss in speed is there, Sasha, of like one centimeter off the toe on a normal? Yeah. Um, there's a study um, by, um, I, I'll, 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 I'll bring it up here in a second, but I, it, it's around 1%. Really? Um, that low? Yeah, let me. Uh, um, I just don't have the number exactly in my head, but I will before uh, before we finish. Um, but Carlson um, uh, did a, did some great research to show that yeah, it was actually um, he he did a bunch of different putters to different head weights, you know, mallets, whatever, and it was like, hmm, impact spot really doesn't seem to um, have um, have much of an impact, and and you know, he was kind of the first person that I can recall that really started to also layer over, well, what is the variability introduced by the golfer? So he was like, Hey, look, if you introduce these average variabilities, you're going to have an impact spot. Mm, it probably doesn't matter that much. Um, Werner and Grieg, they've got a couple of publications called how golf clubs really work. They came to the same conclusion. Um, yeah. That really just, I've got yeah. a, yeah, I use a Capto system and that, um, measures have you seen the capto yeah yeah great yeah yeah and it measures cool uh, energy loss from toe and heel strike and you can get up to like some putts can lose like up to 20 percent energy loss from like toe and heel or according to that but oh really i would love to see um um so i think the way they don't actually see where it hits but i believe what they're doing is they're almost using how much the putter twists to yeah. estimate where it hit. Um, and I think it requires you to input uh, the MOI or at least the style of the putter head. So um, yeah. I, I would be wondering if that the, you know, accelerometer, gyroscope, magnetometer, and the capto maybe has a bit of a, of a glitch for one of them, but I, you know, um, I'd like to see that, you know, see that actual yeah no it's just interesting i think you know like i said to you earlier that when we speak you're you make my head spin more and give me more questions you know i am a coach who think or at least i did think that strike was very important and now you're sort of throwing that cat amongst the pigeons which means i'm learning and you, you, you know question that belief if that makes sense so that, that's brilliant i love that and i don't mind you know listeners guys who listening to this will you know have lessons with me and we've worked on strike so it's not like you know you've got to be open so it's, it's great to to have these discussions yeah it may, you know maybe there's some people out there that that's the issue for but there's no um um yeah measure it quantify it so if yeah if, you, if you're seeing it uh on a 10 foot putt uh a two foot um difference in rollout um due to impact strike yeah that's an issue but I would guess they'd have to be almost missing the, the face. <laughs> yeah. It's a big, um, it's a big, it's a big difference, but 
Anyway, well, um, maybe I'll uh, I'll throw that back to the uh, to the Capto boys or to James Jalzowski or something to see what they've got to say. But that's um that's really interesting. So based on putter fitting, based on what you're saying there, that mind you, I was going to say that we're going to talk about strike there, but if it doesn't really matter, I was going to say would a, a putter with a heavier, a better MOI. Is that what you use? Yeah, I, I do like a, a, a mallet, but I mean, yeah. like even the, I, I played with a, um, uh, an answer style for a long time. And um, I know that even when I'm putting heads up, I, I'm not, um, I'm well within half a centimeter on either side, 95% okay. of the time. Um, yeah. So um, my, my, and this, this is, you know, this is why the heads up putting study shows, uh, we're actually counting putts going in where, you know, what's happening is that I can see, look, this person's hitting the, the, the ball all over the face of their putter all over, meaning like it's still within a centimeter yeah. relative to when their head's down, um, the speed control, like how fast they're delivering the club head speed has improved and I can see more balls going in. Mm. So, Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the, you know, kind of like the, the, the kind of like the end in my mind, the end test of, you know, what's more important. You can do the theoretical stuff. You're like, Oh, I can see that this person's impact spot variability is increased, but they're sinking more putts. That's uh, that's my goal at the end of the day. Cool. Okay. Well, you mentioned green reading being 50% of putting. So I think it'd be rude to, to ignore that. And you've done a study on plum Bob, plum bobbing whatever you want to 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 call that so i was wondering if you could uh, expand on what your sort of learnings were from studying that subject um yeah so uh plum bobbing um the i don't i don't even know how many people even um have wrapped their head around what what's actually trying to happen with with uh, with with plum bobbing um but if you if you try to pin someone down um, to, to understand exactly, uh, what, what information you can get from plumb bobbing and, and what you're trying to use. There, there are a few, um, textbooks, uh, textbooks or golf books that go into, this is what we're trying to do. So, um, the, the idea is that your putter shaft should hang perfectly vertical, right. With, with gravity. Yeah. Um, and that you also need the ability, uh, for your body to stand at, 90 degrees to the slope. Okay. So if the putter shaft is vertical and you happen to be able to stand at 90 degrees to the slope. Okay. And then the, when you line up your ball, so you stand behind the ball, you line up, line up your ball so that the putter shaft's going through the, 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 the ball, bisecting the ball at the bottom. And then you look up the putter shaft, maybe through one eye, then you should see the hole fall on one side or the other of that putter shaft. And if you can do this, if, if you've got a, um, a consistent slope from under your feet all the way to the hole, then you could theoretically calibrate, hey, um, the, uh, if I know the length of the putt and I can stand at perfectly 90 degrees and the slope's the same the whole time, then the distance from the hole to the putter shaft through my vision, if I'm looking through one eye, will increase the steeper the slope gets, right? Does that make sense? So yep. if there's no slope, then my 
putter shaft will bisect the ball at the bottom and will bisect the hole at the top. And then the more break, the further that hole is going to get away from my putter shaft. And then I can calibrate that to how much break there is. Now, that depends on the ability of the golfer to dangle the putter vertically. Um, And most putters, the center of gravity of the putter is not on the the shaft. So it's not going to hang vertically. So you kind of have to spin it around to find the plane where the shaft will hang vertically from your view. Um, You uh, also have to be able to stand at 90 degrees to the slope. Um, And most people, when they plumb up, you see they have one knee bent. So it's almost like they're, (laughs) they, they don't want to stand 90 degrees to the slope. So I don't even know what uh, people are are seeing. And then the the other thing is that it's very, for a lot of putts, where you stand is going to be different. You know, when you stand behind the ball, three or four feet behind the ball, that slope's going to be different than the slope between the ball and the hole which aim point is totally shown because with aim point, the first thing you do is you, uh, and if it's a complicated putt, you'll stand in a couple of spots, right? But if you get a 10 foot putt and you're like, all right, well, I think this is the break. You don't aim point from, uh, do your, you know, your judgment of the slope from behind the ball because the ball's not going to roll over that part of the slope. Right. Um, so there, there's a, a lot of factors that go in that, that really just make plumb bobbing, not really a, a valid way to, uh, determine the break. Um, what I think people are doing is they're, they're essentially just trying to get a sense of, of the, the way the slope is exactly at the hole, (laughs) you know? So, so it's like they get the vertical putter shaft and they're putting it over the hole. Um, and you want to see, Hey, from that view, which way is the hole slanted, like the actual cutout of the hole relative to my putter shaft. So, might give you an indication of the slope at the hole, right? Um, that's yeah. Or there's some other kind of information that's entering the brain that I'm completely unaware of that's helping them read the putt. But I, I, you know, it's, it's really tough to objectively say that plumb bobbing is helpful. It's uh, yeah, that, uh, that's great that you cleared that up. I think, as you said, most people can't describe what they're doing anyway. Right. Um, and where they're feeling slope is even if they were really, really good at plumb bobbing, they're standing nowhere near where the ball's going to go. So yeah. it's kind of irrelevant. Yeah. It might be similar, but Jesus, some people go off the green one foot in a bunker and they're doing it. And it's like, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, and so I, I, you know, I tried to, tell when I did uh, publish that study in Journal of Sports Sciences uh, a while ago, what I did was I showed that, hey, look, if um, I had the, the slope underneath the feet moving independently of the green slope, um, and so you can get, if you change the slope underneath the feet, you'll get the opposite read. So it has zero correlation to the slope of the green between the ball and the hole. So it's like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, clearly this is an issue. But yeah. interestingly, People did a pretty good job of standing at 90 degrees to the slope. So I would, you know, I'd set up a slope. I know. Yeah. I'd set up the slope, know what the slope is, but they were told to stand at, um, at 90 degrees. Um, whereas if you actually watch people plumb up, it's quite uncomfortable to stand at 90 degrees to a slope. It's not Mm -hmm. natural. We don't want to do it. We, We want to stand, um, uh, parallel to gravity. Uh, so most people, when they plumb up, they don't actually do it, even though we probably have the ability to, we choose not to anyway, (laughs) when we plumb up. 
I'm glad you've said that though, because I, I, you know, I'm, I coach uh, Aimpoint, and I've sort of put a thousand people through the uh, the system now, and uh, everyone can feel slope really well. And you know, essentially, what you're saying is is that they are pretty good at it. So that's uh, that's good. A lot more uh, accurate way to read the greens. Yeah, I think what. Yeah, I mean, Aimpoint is. Um, I mean, probably. Maybe there are other systems out there that I haven't studied enough, but it's a pretty solid system for um, improving your green reading. And since I think green reading is such a massive part of whether you make putts or not, uh, everybody should probably try it. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Thank you. Okay, Sasha, let's just talk about um, the acceleration of the putter head um, at impact. And you've done some studies on that. And can I... Can you please tell me your findings of, uh, yeah, maybe what what the best players in the world do? Yeah, well, this might take a, a bit of back and forth to make sure that um, everybody's understanding um, what I'm what I'm saying here. But let's first talk about the the theory. So you, you first might need to convince in order for me to in order for your listeners to understand why I even did this research or started looking at this. Um, uh, you need to understand the motivation for doing it. Um, so I first have to convince you that, uh, why acceleration at impact might matter. <laughs> yeah. Well, why, why are you even looking at it? Um, um, because, uh, from a physics standpoint, if you have two putter heads, um, that both hit the ball, everything's the same five miles per hour, same face angle path loft, all that stuff. Um, but one, when it hits is accelerating, um, and the other one, when it hits is not accelerating. So it's velocity at that instant in time is not changing. Yep. Um, um, it won't have any measurable influence on what happens to the ball. But, um, the, the theory is, is that if you are accelerating, then, then the, 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 what happened during the stroke will actually over time lead to more variability in your ability to deliver the correct um, speed. Um, so let's keep exploring that idea for a little bit. What, what do I even mean by acceleration? Um, it's different than velocity. Uh, of, of, uh, there, people like to have, um, why it's challenging to understand acceleration is because we can't see it. We can't look at two objects moving and say, oh uh, yeah, look, that one's accelerating faster than the other one. Um, for example, let this, when you throw a set of keys up into the air, a pen or whatever you throw up into the air, nothing about that motion of that pen or keys going up and down looks constant. No one could look at those keys going up and down and say, oh yeah, gravity is equal to minus 9.81. Acceleration is equal to minus 9.81 the entire time. You, you know what I'm saying? We can't see it. No one sees no idea a ball. what you mean, but I do. I do. I do. Like, so, so when you, when you, yeah, when you toss something up into the air, it's yeah. vertical acceleration, how yeah. fast its speed is changing in the vertical direction is a constant, uh, negative 9.81 meters per second square. So at every instance in time, when you taught, if you've got a pen there, Ollie, toss it up for me or whatever you got, there you go. Yeah, so the entire time that pen went up and down, it was accelerating towards the ground. It had an acceleration of minus 9.81 meters per second per second. So every second its velocity was changing by negative 9.81 
meters per second. But it doesn't look like that. We can't see acceleration. Um, it's not natural. to you. I can see the velocity of that pen. I can see that when you first threw it, it was traveling up very fast. And then near the end, when it got up near the top of its, of its peak height, it was traveling slow. And then just before you caught it again, it was traveling very fast, but now down. I can yeah. see velocity. I can see the position. I can see, you know, it's low, it's high, it's in the middle of its trajectory, but I can't see acceleration. Those are the three things that describe motion. The position, how the position's changing is, is speed or velocity, and then how the velocity is changing is acceleration. Um, we're down a rabbit hole now, but it's kind of important to, <laughs> to go down that's that good, rabbit hole a bit. That's good. Let's keep going. Yeah. So, um, uh, let, let me, um, give another example around acceleration and, and, and maybe why it's tough to see, but then we'll talk about why it's important. So if you have three people in cars, um, they're, uh, you know, driving next to each other. So the person can look out the one window, see the car to his left, see a car to his right. And they're all going at hundred miles an hour and they're driving into a brick wall and an inch from the brick wall. Um, the car in the middle does nothing. It, it has zero acceleration, doesn't hit the gas, doesn't hit the brakes, hits the wall at 100 miles an hour. Um, the car to the left, that person slams on the brakes. Okay, so at that instant, one inch before the brick wall, they're going to have a lot of negative acceleration. They're going to be decelerating. So at that instance in time, their speed is going to want to start to slow down. But boom, they hit the wall going 100 miles an hour anyway, because they're an inch away. Even though they've hammered on the brakes, that acceleration hasn't had any time to slow down the velocity. The car on the right, the guy says, hey, uh, maybe he's driving a Tesla. <laughs> and an inch away from the wall, he hammers on the accelerator. And now he's got a massive positive acceleration. But an inch away, that positive acceleration hitting the gas doesn't have time to change his speed. So he also hits the wall at essentially 100 miles an hour. So we can think of those, those cars as putters, right? Yeah. Um, and the wall is the ball. So whether you're accelerating, decelerating, um, or coasting, having none, the ball doesn't really care. There's going to be some minuscule differences during the impact time interval the ball which is so small that it's going to have no measurable influence on how far the ball rolls out how much spins on the ball anything so from a physics standpoint acceleration really doesn't matter that all in, in putting at impact but um if what what some coaches might argue if you look at the uh, from a mathematical perspective um let's say we're trying to hit the wall at a hundred miles per hour. Okay. In the car. All right. So this is the argument for having no acceleration. Okay. This is the argument for having, we're trying to hit the wall at hundred miles an hour. So um, we're all driving down the road. I get up to hundred miles an hour. I'm in the car in the middle and I'm like, all right, I'm a hundred feet out. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going a hundred. I'm just going to stay at hundred and I can kind of like, yeah, coast in at hundred and I can look at my speedometer and make sure that I hit the wall at exactly hundred. Right. Yeah. Boom. No problem. I hit the wall at hundred. It's easy. The guy on my left about hundred feet from the wall, he's going 80 miles an hour. Right. So he's like, all right, I got to start accelerating. Boom. He hammers on the, and obviously he's going 82, 83, 84, bang. He hits the wall. Ah, you only get up to 95. Yeah. Right. Okay. The, 
the guy on the right, he's going 120. And now he's like, okay, but I want to hit it at, you know, at exactly hundred. So he's like tapping the brakes and he hammers on the brakes and, oh shoot, he didn't quite get low enough or maybe he overshot. So the argument is that as you're coming into the ball, if you have a lot of acceleration or a lot of deceleration, there's going to be more variability in your velocity. Right. So then, you know, if you're trying to hit the putt at five miles per hour, ah, shoot, you know, sometimes you hit it at 5.3, sometimes you hit it at 4.7 and your speed controls all out of whack. Whereas someone who coasts in, they get up to their speed, you know, three inches before the ball. And then the acceleration, you know, kind of goes down to zero and then they just coast in the water. They're going to have much more repeatable speed. That's the theory, right? Does that make sense? Control. On like, cruise like, control. control yeah. yeah. And, and intuitively that made sense to me and, and the way uh, my brain works, I think about, mm, okay, let's think about other sports where we need to be precise. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Because if this is a principle across sports, there's lots of sports where we need precise execution of velocity. So I was thinking like, mm, let's see if I can think of something you might be uh, uh, darts, right? Yeah. Ah, if you look at, we don't really coast in with the dart. You know, it's a very kind of jerky, accelerating right up to yeah. the lot of acceleration. In fact, the hand, you know, sometimes comes to, a, you know, uh, there's big acceleration. So, okay, no. And I started thinking about about uh, other sports. Well, them, but then I was like, what's that? Curling. Curling was the exact one where I was like, okay, here's one where maybe there's some applicability because, you, you know, you push out of the, the block. I'm not sure what you call it. Uh, in the, the UK, Whatever. but yeah. And you've got this massive runway where you use your legs, you get up to speed and then it's just a, a release. You just let go. Right. And maybe try to figure out the spin that you want to put on the, the rock, right. The curling stone. Um, but certainly very close to a constant velocity. I thought, yeah, okay. And velocity is really important that the per- precision there. So I was like, okay, maybe um, not exactly like you're hitting something. Uh, there's way less constraints because you've got forever to release it. But I thought, okay, at least there's some reason to continue to look at this. Um, so I do, um, lots of, uh, putting research, you know, so I've got lots of heads up putting data, heads down putting data. I test all, we're going to talk, I think about some of the putting research with toe hang and face balance I did with ping. So, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people coming in the lab, I've got, um, uh, a really fancy motion capture system that I can get down to sub millimeter resolution and high frame rates. And, got a lot of putts. So I've got some putters who are really good. I've had some people in my lab like David Orr um, um, and some other people who could sink, you know, between 80 and 90% of their 11 footers. They've got, you know, you take away green reading, these individuals that have come through my lab are amazing putters. So I thought, all right, well, um, I I do lots of studies where um, I take green reading out of it because uh, I don't want that to noise up the data. If I'm trying to look at a particular variable, if I want to look at, hey, does this technique improve your face control? Well, I don't want them guessing about whether this breaks three inches or four inches. Do you know what I mean? I want them to know the putt. I want them to be able to step up to this putt and know what they should be doing to execute it. So then any variability I see in terms of whether they sink it or not, or whether they miss left or right, it wasn't because of green reading. It was because of their stroke. Does that make sense? so speed but sorry that that, that's what's just got when you said that that's what's got my head spinning is 
you take green reading out of it, you're taking a lot of speed out of it, which you mentioned earlier as well. No, if you have, so let, let me give you an example. Let's say we're, we're looking at this acceleration variable as being important, okay? And uh, I'm gonna have you hit putt, 11 foot putts, but it's gonna be five different putts, okay? Yeah. Um, and let's say, let's say that uh, you've got really low acceleration and impact. Like you are the king at, at just coasting into the brick wall and I'm smashing it, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm accelerating. But I'm, but I'm really good at reading greens and you're terrible at reading greens. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, Ollie, here we go. Uh, you're going to go through this putt and you think that this putt, um, you totally misread the, um, uh, that it's uphill. Um, so you hit it and you leave it a foot short. And then you misread the, green, the grain on the next one, but you've executed the speed that you've intended to hit it with perfectly. Yeah. And right. you, you, hit, you execute the speed perfectly in five putts but you miss all five putts and one of them's two feet short, one of them's four feet long. I am an amazing green reader. I, but on my speeds, not as good. I'm missing my intended speed, but I sink three out of the five because I've read the putts correctly. Yeah. Right. Even though I didn't even hit my intended speed perfectly, but you did, you, you wanted to hit the ball at 5.1 miles per hour and you hit the ball at 5.1 miles per hour, but really the, the putt required six miles per hour. Yeah. So, do you see what I'm saying? So when I do the research in my lab, I'll have multiple putts set up uh, on the green. I'll have an 11 foot putt and maybe that's the putt of interest. So they'll hit that putt. Then they'll go hit an eight foot putt. Then they'll go hit a 20 foot putt. Then they'll come back to that same 11 foot putt. They're putting to a hole, not to a, to a phantom yeah, hole. No actual hole on the green in my, in my lab. Yep. Actual, an actual hole, but they've, there's, you know, uh, a minute or two um, between attempts and they've walked around the green and focused on two different other on other putts. Does that make sense? So they, yeah. they, they come back to this 11 foot putt. They know it. Um, they've hit some warm up putts to it already. They know the break. So, so they don't need to read the green anymore, but they need to have a repeatable stroke. They need to be able to execute a repeatable stroke. Does that make sense? So okay. to the best of my ability, I've taken green reading out of it. So in that scenario, if, if think of it as using a robot, right? A robot has an amazingly repeatable stroke. But if I gave you a putting robot or your perfect putter, what, what do you have? You probably have a perfect putter or something like that. Uh, perfect putter, yeah. Yeah. So, but if I take you out to some random hole on the course with 11 footer, I'm like, all right, line up your perfect putter and see if you can sink this putt. You're probably going to miss it because you misread it. And then you're like, ah, oh, shoot. You know, do I put the ball up higher in my perfect putter? Perfect putter, if you guys don't know, is a, just a ramp. It's like a stint meter thing that rolls the ball, starts it in a perfect line with perfect roll. So if I said, give, gave you a perfect putter um, and said, okay, go hit this putt, you'd probably have to adjust it at least two or three times before you started making the putt. But now that you've got it adjusted, yep. hey, you're going to sink every one. You get it. Because you've yeah, taken – interesting. Um one on the perfect path. I've got a guy out in the States. So I coach in, um, in, uh, where is he in Las Vegas? And, uh, he bought a perfect pattern. He goes, man, if I could take this on the course, I would put my strokes game would be like plus five. So I set him a task to do a spider putt test, which is like a series of 30 putts with it and doing it normal. And he did it five times and he was better without the spider putt. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Without the, um, he was better at putting than he was using the ramp. I totally believe it. I totally believe it. Yeah. It, showing you how much 
green reading matters, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So, so I've got all this data collected in this manner where I've removed green reading to the best of my ability. So I would have in this particular putting study, someone would have hit this 11 foot putt, the same 11 foot putt 16 times, but in between every attempt, they're going to do something else. And they're coming back, have to reset up. Right. Um, so they know what the speed should be. Can they execute it? Right. Um, so in this particular 11 foot putt, the, you know, the putter head speed needs to be like three miles per hour, something like that. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I go, right. This person sank 90% of their putts. This person sank 84. You know, I've got dozens and dozens of people that have taken this putt. Some of them only sink 30% of that putt. They're not great putters and you can do a, a correlation. So what, what is it about the person who sank 90% of his putts? What, what is it about their stroke that makes their speed more repeatable? That's make, that makes them sink more putts than the person that only sank 20%. You can quantify it. You can say, well, what, what are the differences? What, what matters in putting? So I've got all this data. So I said, oh, let's, let's start calculating acceleration of the center of the putter face at impact. And let's plot it against um, a couple of variables. So the first variable that made sense to me was make percentage. Um, and if the data that I've collected I've not seen a relationship yet. So I've got quite a range of accelerations at impact for that. Let's say this 11 foot uh, putt, they might range from four meters per second squared all the way up to say 12 meters per second squared. So a big range of acceleration impact. I've yet to measure anybody in my lab who actually has negative acceleration and impact. And I can talk about that in a little bit because I, I found that odd and I got a little thing I did to, to test that. Um, but so everybody was positive and there was no relationship. So the, there was a person, um, who, you know, had an acceleration, uh, you know, the, two or three people that were crazy low, um, two or three people that were crazy high and they sank the same number of putts. Um, and there's a few people in the middle that had, you know, the, the higher make rates around, you know, 80%, um, but no relationship, just like, a if you just threw paint on the wall, right. Shotgun blast, no relationship. Uh, between those variables. And I said, well, maybe there's other things that are washing up. Maybe there's better phase control. So I said, well, the theory is, is that if you've got lower acceleration at impact, that your speed variability is better, right? So over those 16 pots, you know how hard you have to hit it. Well, what was the variability in speed? Putter speed and ball speed, no relationship to either of those as well. Um, now, so then it's like, hey, whether you are accelerating into the ball or whether you are, you know, and in fact, there was no one was decelerating or whether you're, you know, uh, getting closer to coasting in, I've seen uh, no association with decreased uh, your ability to deliver the correct speed or the number of putts you make. Maybe there's someone out there who has the data to say that, and I'd, I'd happily look at it. Um, usually what you see online is someone will post, um, say, like uh, they'll pull out a tour pro. And I'm not even sure what system they're using, but like, look, this person has really low acceleration and impact. And then they'll show, you know, Johnny McDonald from the local course, some amateur one versus one. Yeah. If I pull out two dots from that graph, I could find someone who sinks more putts with a low acceleration and someone who sinks putts, less putts with high acceleration, but I could go the other way too. 
Um, so, you know, what I would love to see is someone present, Hey, here's 30 players that have a range of putting abilities. And we can clearly see that those that have less acceleration and impact sink more putts. Um, and then I'd be like, okay, yeah. And then I'd wonder why, um, my data isn't showing that, but that's all right. Not, not one, one study doesn't prove anything. It's just, you know, one more bit of evidence. Um, and I just haven't seen any evidence yet. Um, the other thing is, so I thought it was odd um, that no one that's gone through my lab had negative acceleration, right? I thought, oh, okay, or no one's even around zero because I think I've seen some data presented to that effect. Um, so I was like, well, the ball, um, impacting the ball can mess up data, right? It, 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 it makes it very tough to determine acceleration. Um, most of the systems um, uh, that, that would measure like a Sam Putlab, for example, it might be the most famous for measuring, uh, you know, the, the acceleration. Yeah, love it. It gets position data from that uh, sensor that's on the shaft. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's so it's not even on the head. It's on the shaft. And what the shaft is doing probably not going to be exactly the same as what the head's doing. There's definitely going to be bill lag. So there's maybe an issue there. I think it's a great system. So before I do, whoa, I think, you know, look, Sam is the, probably one of the best systems out there. Capto is pretty amazing too. Cause it, you know, it, it's a little bit less cumbersome. So these are great systems, but this is just one specific variable. And I'm just talking about it in a specific context. Um, um, so imagine um, the car analogy again. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're tracking these cars going into the wall in order to figure out how fast something's going. So even in order to figure out how fast the putter head's going, you need to have position. If I want to know how fast something is going at, um, if you, if you think about a video camera and there's frames and you can go frame by frame. Yeah. If I want to know how fast something is going at frame five, I need to know its position at frame four and frame six. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because if I just showed you from frame four to frame five, and then at frame five, it was, it came to a complete stop. So that speed equal distance over time. That's right. That's right. Okay. So if I want to know how fast something's going at frame uh, five, I need to know where it was at frame four and where it was at frame six. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. Um, and if I want to know something's acceleration, I need to know if I want to know its acceleration at frame five, I need to know its velocity at frame four and its velocity at frame six. I need, I need to know how its velocity is changing. So hold on a second. Now, if I, if I need to know the, the velocity at frame six, that means I need to know the position at frame seven. So in order for me to get the acceleration of something at frame five, I need to know its position at frame seven. If I'm using a system like um, uh, my system in my lab, the motion capture system, or something like uh, Sam Putlab. Yeah. Right? If you have those, those cars flying into the wall, right? And, and we're going 100 miles an hour and an inch from the wall, uh, one Tesla hammers on the accelerator, another Tesla hammers on the brakes, and the, the one in the middle doesn't do anything. 
as far as you know, they all hit the wall. You don't know what the acceleration was. You, we don't get a chance to see that acceleration because the wall got in the way. We, we haven't, even though, even though you would start to feel in that one car, you would start to feel, yes, I'm hitting the brakes. Boom, you hit the wall. You, you, you need to see the, that effect changing your velocity and that effect changing your position. So the ball uh, creates a massive amount of interference in that signal just like the wall does, right? Yeah. Uh, with the car. Down, right? So much so that Capto even uses that to figure out where the ball hit on the face. They're like, hey, this, this is actually has so much influence that we can actually use that to actually try and figure where this ball hit in the face um, based on how much the face slowed down. Um, but needless to say, then it's challenging to get out exactly that acceleration. So in my lab, I'm spitting out these positive accelerations. So I'm acutely aware of the fact uh, that, that that can have an influence on the signal that the putter had sending out. Am I getting a true acceleration? So what I did was um, did it with myself first. So I have a lot of data myself hitting putts. I know what my acceleration is, at least as my system measured it in the studies that I was just talking about. So then I compared it to what my stroke looks like with my eyes closed. So hitting putts with my eyes closed um, and it's the same makes sense. It's a pretty simple stroke. Okay. Everything looks the same. And then I have my student, um, I'm hitting putts. They're putting, I got my eyes closed. They're setting the ball up in the exact same spot. I'd hit a putt. They'd set up the ball in the exact same pot. I'd hit a putt. And then randomly they not put a ball down. Huh. So I just get this air swing. So now that allows me to check, to make sure the accelerations that I'm measuring are not being influenced by impact with the ball. Does that make sense? Yeah, because that does create a big distortion in the signal. And there's lots of little, I don't know, I'll call them tricks or hacks, things you got to do to kind of like filter the data to make sure that the acceleration you're getting is, is what it would be um, without the ball there, right? Is, is that, you know, the ball's not um, giving you a bias in what you're measuring. And it turns out that I'm pretty happy with the way my system's measuring it. Um, and then I th said, now, you know what? Okay, well, now that I'm happy, I'm going to try to make strokes where I'm decelerating. And this is an N of one, um, but I'm, you know, uh, putting's the best part of my game statistically using strokes gain, and I'm a plus two handicap. So I'm, I'm a Club champion. I've heard a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, no, but but I'm a decent-ish <laughs> putter, right? I'm, you know, I'm no Aaron Badley or anything, but you know, um, I'm okay. Yeah. Um, and reasonably athletic, and for me to make a putt where I was decelerating an impact. It was really, really challenging. It took me three or four attempts to even do it. Um, it was very tough. Um, anyway, I, uh, I, I could be certainly convinced tomorrow if someone showed me some data and said, hey, this is what you're doing wrong. You know, you made some mistakes in your calculations or whatever. And I'm like, oh, okay. And here's some data that we've collected showing this um, correlation between make percentage and acceleration such that you make more putts if you have less acceleration. But I'd listen. I'd be open. Great. It'd be nice to have something to work towards, but I just haven't seen any data to that effect yet. Well, that's uh, yeah, really interesting to hear you talk about that. My, like, my initial thoughts on what you've said is I get why you're taking green reading out, but I think that is the secret to the source because speed is not as an important factor on straight putts as it is on breaking putts. Do you know what yeah. I mean by that? I know I'm, you measured the speed as well, but the human, because they know it's straight, they know that speed's not that important. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
so I'm taking green reading is massively important, which is why I'm taking it out. Yeah. Because because I'm 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 taking it out to measure the effect of a certain um, variable on performance, right? So if I want to know if Ollie makes way more putts than I make, is it because he's a better green reader or is it because he's got a better stroke? Yeah. And if I want to know is it, if it's because of your your stroke, because that's what I'm going to work on someone with. Let's say I, I you know, I'm, I, let's say you're you. You, you, you would like to know as a putting coach, do I need to, am I going to get more strokes gain putting improvement from working on this person's green reading, or am I going to get more strokes gain putting improvement from working on their stroke? You'd like to know, Hey, are they missing putts because of their green reading or are they missing putts because of their stroke? So, Hey, yeah. so I do that every single day. That's my yeah. one goal with every lesson, right. Is to see if they need to improve their, their, their green reading. I would, not say stroke though i'd say their ability to start a ball online and their ability to match their intention with speed so like matching your intention is the key thing is do they have the ability to stop the ball where they're trying to stop the ball do you know what i mean sure yeah Uh, yeah absolutely so i think you you read the green and then you have an intended launch speed and an intended launch direction um which is super important that's that matters a ton, but then it, you know, can you execute and, and achieve that intended launch speed and launch direction, which to me would probably be mostly due to your stroke. Sure. And yeah. acceleration, maybe. It may be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, hey, look, Hey, um, I j- just, because what, what I said, it's one study, it doesn't prove anything. So what, what coaches and, and golfers need to realize is that, yeah, that's a little bit of evidence, you know, maybe Sasha knows what he's talking about, but um, if, if golf is very complex, and there's a lot going on. If you're having success doing something, um, then uh, probably you should, you should keep doing it, but maybe have an open eye. So let's say there's a bunch of coaches out there that are having tremendous success. Putters come in, they're putting terribly. You do some drills to work on uh, reducing their acceleration and impact and they get better. And you see this client after client after client. Well, two things are possible. Um, Maybe you're right. And, and I'm missing something in my research or there's just something that there was a limitation in the study. Great. Then, then you should keep doing what you're doing for that reason. Or, Maybe there's another factor. So maybe just because you're coaching them into what you think is leading to better acceleration, maybe it's having another effect altogether on some other variable, right? And it's not acceleration. Um, Or maybe something else is changing that also happens to affect acceleration. Bottom line is you're seeing um, improvements. Um, But I'll also add in that that probably... Um, if you're going to maybe have a discussion with me about why acceleration is important um, and, and come up with theories around it, then maybe let's not you and I have that discussion based on your anecdotal, um, you know, fine. You could, hey, you can coach with it, but um, it, it's probably not going to move the science forward in terms of is acceleration important. Doesn't mean you should you should stop coaching with it, though. No, no, I totally, you know, um, agree with you that the, uh, yeah, the, the facts are the, what, what you're searching for, isn't it? Is the, the, the sort of what's, what's real. So, uh, no, it's cool. I think, you know, once 
you change acceleration profiles, it changes lots of things in plane, out of plane motions from, you know, about the plane, doesn't it? So there's like how that player applies, you know, I've heard you speak about applying force and torques to the grip to where you put the brakes on, where the brake pedal is will affect the in plane, out of plane, around the plane motion. So there's like, yeah, it can change everything can't it it's um it's mind-blowing but look sasha i'm really conscious of your time um i've got i'm to, okay if you're okay i'm okay i've got to thank you so much for that conversation today it's uh i knew it was gonna be like as i said a a head spinger and give me more questions than than when i sort of started the call so just to um to finish up with can you just talk us through the stack system um why why it helps golfers and c- can we get hold of them in the UK? Yeah. Um, so the, to, to, from my perspective, um, swinging faster is a, is a fundamental or swinging fast is a fundamental skill in, in golf that um, pretty much everybody can improve upon and will have a dramatic um, impact on your, your game. Um and we can see it, you know, unfolding on the PGA tour. Um, in, in fact, it, it's even more important for amateurs. The, the, as skill level decreases or as score goes up, the value of hitting it further for that person increases. So for a PGA tour player, um, the, the trade-off between distance and accuracy, um, is still slightly in favor of, of distance, but it's even more so in favor of distance for the shorter hitter. Um, uh, and that would be, you know, and I see that a lot in my lab when someone comes in, um, and they are driving it, you know, 200 yards. Um, well, when you're hitting at 200 yards, the fairways are kind of relatively wide. You'd be better off, even if you get into the rough, you'd be better off getting a 230 and being a, a, a little less straight. Um, and uh, so, um, started working with tour players to just come up with this system that would, um, increase club head speed, um, and had some success. Uh, so then teamed up with, um, Marty Jertsen, um, VP of, uh, fitting and is it fitting and innovation, fitting and performance, VP of fitting and performance at ping so changes his title from now, now and again. Um, and he, uh, I was like, look, this is what I, I need in a club, uh, for this swing training system. Um, and he engineered it, designed it. Uh, it's basically a single club and we can vary the weights on the end. Um, and that allows us to create scenarios, uh, that are heavier than your driver and lighter than your driver. So we want to manipulate, uh, the speed you're swinging relative to your typical driver speed and also manipulate the forces that you're feeling that your body's experiencing relative to your, your driver. Um, and probably the, the thing that really separates us um, in the market is the app that we have. Okay. Um, yep. So uh, the app completely guides you through all aspects of, of training. Um, so it tells you uh, when to work out. Um, it tells you, you know, a little screen uh, pops up on the app. It shows you um, how much weight to load on. Uh, you take a swing, you do need a, a separate speed monitor, like a PRGR, something that measures your, your club head speed without ball contact. You talk the speed into the app, a little timer pops up, um, guides you through the sets and reps. 
um, tracks your speed, lets you know if a little cheer happens, if you swung uh, at the fastest you've ever swung for that particular weight. Um, and what's, what's really cool is that it's based on uh, six years of, of me kind of toiling away, figuring out, you know, how heavy can things be uh, or how heavy should things be to, uh, you know, to make you swing faster? How light should they be? Should you swing light stuff and heavy stuff on the same day? Um, what should the rest be between reps and sets iteratively doing these studies? Um, and then, uh, you know, towards the end, trying to figure out, well, um, would Ollie benefit more from swinging slightly heavier stuff more often? Um, and would Sasho benefit more from swinging slightly lighter stuff more often? So, we have some profile questions in there and we do a baseline test that um, that allows us to collect information that feeds into an algorithm that I developed that uh, designs a program for you. So it recommends wow. uh, it will it will give you a different program than it will give me. Um, and then Sounds even very if different it, to the other sort of systems on the market, maybe. Yeah, it's very different. So you could, you know, we've got 30 different weight combinations. And so even if let's say the app recommends that you and I start with the same program. Okay. Yeah. Um, after the first session, depending on how fast you swing the weights for the first session, you and I would get recommended the same weights for the same reps, but for every swing, the app knows the weight you were swinging and you tell it the speed. And so we may swing those weights because things change over time differently than we did in the baseline. So my second workout is now different than your second workout. Um, yeah. And, um, so, you know, we've got, uh, about uh, 30 or 40, uh, PGA tour players, uh, using it right now. Lots of guys on the, on the top of the leaderboard. We've got, um, a lot of guys who, um, uh, were, uh, quite slow and are now, you know, kind of eking their way up into a spot where it's no longer a limitation, like Andrew Putnam, um, off the course has gained 10 miles per hour. And he certainly started to see some meaningful differences on the course as well. Um, um, we've got, um, tons of LPGA players as well. Um, and so overall, what's really cool about the system, I'm a data guy and, and, and everything needs to be driven by science. In my opinion, you can start out with theory, um, but it needs to be, uh, you know, the, the, the facts of the science need to drive um, your, you know, the way you're training. And we've now got over 4,000 users that are providing data into the app. Better, yeah. So we, we literally, I can say, okay, well, um, what programs, if there were errors, what programs work better for which people? And so we're constantly improving the programs because we're constantly looking at that data. So I'll know, hey, I recommended... Ollie, uh, this program, and he executed it the way he was supposed to. Um, and he got, you know, this much faster, but you know what, it looks like someone else got even faster doing some slightly different stuff. So then that's going to improve the, the, the algorithms. Um, yeah. So you can, can, we, can go, we get them in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. You can go to uh, golf swing systems. Yep. UK. Um, they have, uh, 30, 30 or 40 in stock right now. So, um, yeah. And if you're in the EU, um, if you follow the, um, I don't have the link off the top of my head. I think it's swingspeed.eu, um, for folks that are listening there. Um, and we have all those links and information. If you go to, uh, the stacksystem.com. Um, yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, uh, we'll, uh, 
certainly get to get the listeners on that and have a look. So once again, Sasha, thank you so much for your time. I've uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. You can, uh, yeah, you can My talk pleasure. forever, man. And so can I, and we could, uh, we could, <laughs> we could go, uh, go down some more rabbit holes another time, maybe. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I'm still bothered that I, you know, I, I think it's, it was about 1%, but I'm going to, I'm going to find those uh, errors and roll out and you're going to dub it over uh, the, uh, the podcast for me. How's that sound? I love it. I can uh, certainly uh, give it to my guy who does it and try the best for sure. Okay. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, thanks. Sasha, thanks a lot. Okay.